Hello everyone, welcome to Bonus Podcast. I'm the host Donatos Rubanas and I'm joined by my, my colleague Ritis Vishnauskas. Without any further introduction, Ritis, tell me what the hell is going on in Palau Blograna, what they are smoking, because the last time we had the shush, now we have King Gataman chanting, I want the cup in front of all crowd and not leaving the core for three minutes. I know that in Panathinaikos, in Oaka, some players told that sometimes they can smell something special, something different, you know, some different flavor. But I didn't hear anything like that in Palau, uh, about Palau Blograna. Well, Barcelona people are usually very liberal about smoking things. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody is smoking something there. But from what we can see, the crowd in, in, in Palau, they really respect the rules. They're always wearing their masks. So I don't think it has anything to do with smoking. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that uh, they are the leading team in the EuroLeague standings and everybody wants to beat them. And maybe that Anadolu FS and Barca played in the EuroLeague final last season. And maybe that uh, in Istanbul, Ataman was also rejected from the game. And actually it was a crazy overtime game. After which uh, Anadolu FS came out with uh, an official announcement uh, that they were disappointed with the quality of the refereeing. So the tensions were high already before the game. So it's, it's not something very miraculous that i mean emotions were uh, all over the place but um as yeah. you understood as in the understood sorry for interrupting you uh, we will talk about two big games uh, from the last yeah. week and both uh, were played in barcelona uh, barca fs and barca uh, armani exchange uh, also we will discuss shortly uh, real madrid and their recent uh, transfer moves uh, and for the second part of the podcast, uh, since we have a midway of the EuroCup uh, regular season, we will talk about some EuroCup action, action and Partizan Belgrade specifically. Yeah. We have a few questions from our listener Miroslav. We will de- dedicate all our fan, uh, fan mail uh, for, for his uh, free questions. And uh, finally, it seems like we will have all the games uh, played as scheduled this week. So we will uh, have a short uh, talk about about the most uh, upcoming uh, the biggest uh, games this week so first of all as you understood we will talk about uh, Ergin Ataman and uh, it was again the highlight of Barca and FS game was it fair to throw him out of the court once again in the beginning of the third quarter I don't really? know it is not for me to judge I really have no idea what he said to the referee I don't know what words were thrown at the re- at the referees. I mean, there was this first technical foul. Usually, I mean, coaches, they know what they're doing when they're getting a technical foul. Usually, the coach realizes that right now I'm going to get the technical, but it's not a big deal. In this case, I don't know, man. It's the third time Ergin Ataman is ejected from a EuroLeague game this season. Twice it happened uh, against Barcelona. Once it happened in Athens when they... When they played against Panathinaikos, and I think at all three times it was two consecutive yes. technicals, right? Yes, and well, to me it does not say much about the referees whether it was fair or not. I don't know. I have no idea. It's not for me to judge, but it says more about Terginataman to me. Actually, to be honest, of course, um, the showmanship with this "I won the cup" and everything was entertaining. However, when I see a coach that cannot control himself. 
Do I trust him to control a group of individuals? Anadolu Efes is struggling this season. Yeah, they're not where they're supposed to be as EuroLeague champions with with this roster. Um, and uh, Ergen Ataman is constantly losing his temper. Free ejections, practices during Christmas time. Um, I don't know, maybe it's the old Ataman, not the new one we got used to in recent years when Anadolu Efes were winning everything. So really, you can have an opinion whether it was fair or not to eject him from this game, but I just see a man that's not controlling his emotions. Yeah, that says he's, a lot he's, about... He's losing it. So how can he control the team? That says a lot about current uh, FS situation. Uh, it seems like he's losing the control of the team. But at the same time, probably you can trust the guy. I mean, he, he coached this team for a few years uh, successfully. I mean, he won the EuroLeague with, with this group of guys. They were dominating in the EuroLeague uh, past uh, couple of years. But the fact that he's losing control right now, it shows that something is wrong inside the team uh, as well. And... Also, the third ejection in one season in actually three months says a lot about his assistant coaches and that uh, Atama needs some protection like Shailunas Hezekiewicz has on his bench. Darius Moskalunas, well-known bodyguard, not just an uh, assistant coach, but also he probably he's paid as, as a bodyguard for, for Sharas. And uh, Jakub Sekiskok, it seems like he's a very good guy, a very nice, very polite guy, but they need, but they need some bodies uh, on the bench to control Ataman if he, doesn't, he cannot control himself. Although, yeah, the problem was that we didn't have a clear re replay. For example, in the previous game, uh, FS Barca, we kind of saw what happened and we discussed that it was not that fair uh, to throw out the coach in, in that uh, kind of uh, situation under these circumstances. Right now, from what I saw, I wouldn't throw him out unless something between all these replays, what we didn't see happen. Although I would be really surprised if something was extraordinary because we kind of saw the end of uh, Ataman rant and the very, very, very beginner, beginner, beginning later in the game because it probably it was after three quarters that when they um, showed the replay of like first reactions of Ataman after uh, Dunstan's uh, foul. And it didn't look like, you know, sometimes coaches just start running uh, on the court uh, and, and complaining about everything. It didn't look that bad. So I think that... Ataman was surprised by him uh, by himself also that he was uh, thrown out because I'm not so sure. I just saw coach asking why. But you why. don't know the language. You don't know the language. What he said. Yeah, what yeah. he said to referee. I mean, you can say a lot of nasty things, uh, and the referee has the right to give you a technical foul. And if after that you're still saying stuff, you can definitely get the second consecutive technical. But for example, if so. you're asking all the time why, why, why in a kind of emotional manner, is it worth? The ejection? Well, not, no, but I mean, how do we know if that's all he said? Yeah, I understand your point, but we don't know if he said anything. Because we have some I mean, reasons to be uh, unsure, because in the previous game, it was not worth it. I mean, to throw out him uh, off the court. Well, I think that the truth is somewhere in between because one thing is, of course, that now Ataman has this reputation. So for the referees, um, it's easier to eject him than any other coach because, well, uh, you understand that this is Ergen Ataman. He loses his temper. It happened already three times this season. 
So it's kind of easier to give these two technicals to him because you you're kind of prepared mentally before the game if you're the ref that Ataman will be there uh, mentally attacking you with his remarks uh, and everything else. Uh, at the same time, another thing is that uh, there's a very popular narrative and it's a very easy position to take, even for me, to be safe, uh, to not be criticized, to talk about bad refereeing and usually to talk about how the refs are favoring the Spanish clubs, Real Madrid and Barcelona. This is the narrative. This is what everyone's talking about in Turkey, in Greece. Everyone's talking. Now it's Jordi Bartomeu's league, guys, Barcelona and, and Real Madrid. Madrid. Mafia and yeah. Listen, in this game, Vasa Mitic got 15 free throws. Anadolu has had 33 free throws. I don't see how you can cry about refereeing and say that refs were... But we're not crying about refereeing in general. So, so we're, we're not crying, crying about the specific situation at the beginning but, of the third but quarter. But I'm, I'm talking about the build-up to this whole situation. Uh -huh. Why Ataman is frustrated, why he gets to technicals, why he attacks the referee in the middle of the third quarter. Because if he himself believes that the refs are unfair always in favor of Barcelona when they're playing against them, this is what you get. In my opinion, I mean, the mistakes were made, mistakes are made in almost every game. It's not for me to judge the quality of the referees. I'm not an expert in refereeing, but I don't see any unfair referees' decisions in these games, Barcelona and Adol Efes. No, no, no. I did I did I didn't either. So so but my only Ergen concern Ataman is that if you cannot if you can throw out the co uh, coach out of the game the beginning of the third quarter for that what we saw. I mean I saw way bigger things before and coaches were not ejected for example so maybe it's also because of ataman's history maybe he has a very bad reputation among the referees because maybe before uh, during the games during the seasons he was he was saying something he was doing something very unprofessional maybe it's, it's because of that i don't know but i saw just i just saw bigger things uh, and coaches weren't thrown out. i i don't know uh, i mean charas you can take charas a lot of situations uh, where he wasn't thrown out of the game, although he's sometimes he's even more emotional. But, but it's not only about emotions; it's about the language. You can be emotional with the referees; um, they know it, they tolerate it to some degree. But it's about the language. If you're offending people, if you're abusing people, you're getting technical fouls. I mean, in my opinion, Mr. Ataman should get a grip. I don't believe that. I genuinely don't believe that the referee goes into the game thinking that. I'm about to punish this this coach. He's going to get ejected if he says anything. I genuinely don't believe that the refs before the game have this mindset that we need to punish Ataman because we don't like him. He needs to control himself. That's it. Simple. Stay in the game. You're letting your team down. We're, we're always trying to be like very smart when we talk about coaches getting the technical fouls. Maybe it was a very tactical decision. He wanted his team to respond. He wanted to show his players that he's standing up for them. Sometimes, yes, not in Ataman's case. He's not getting two technicals because he wants to shake up his team. He's getting two technicals because he's losing control. You saw the reactions on Adol Efe's bench when he was doing this circus? Zero emotions. Mm. No one's reacting. Anderson, Petrushev, whatever. Take all the players. They were just sitting there with but poker faces. But it's not the first time 
when we see all these poker faces, for example, FS is one of these rare Euroleague teams that, uh, which after, for example, after the timeout, usually all the teams are, you know, giving some bumps or like uh, doing some chants for the team, like, let's go, Jargidis or whatever. These guys, I mean, after the timeout, they just go separate ways, like nothing happened. It's okay. It, it's, it doesn't say something that there's something wrong with that team. It's, it's just, you know, the mentality is different in every team, uh, team by team. But this team is just like that. I mean, they are kind of emotionless. And maybe it was also part of that. I don't know, man. It just, that, that whole situation looked silly to me, to be honest. And Especially the, afterwards. I mean, and, what and happened after that? Three minutes. He couldn't leave the floor for three minutes. It was, it was funny to watch. It, it was silly to watch. He sit down on the bench like a, like a you know, small crying uh, child. It seemed like he was like, no, I'm not going anywhere. But it was entertaining. And, and it was uh, what only Ataman could do. And all this, I won the cup. I, won the I cup. mean, uh, yes, you're right. It's entertaining. Um, it's kind of funny. But if I was part of an Adol FS team, doesn't matter, coaching staff or one of the players, I would honestly be embarrassed. But that's what you take. But, but that's what it's you deal when you have coach Ataman. I mean, he did a lot of unprofessional things before. Maybe so. Nothing extraordinary maybe from, so. from Ataman's case. Yeah, but talking about the game now, maybe yeah. a little bit. Um, definitely Anadolu F has suffered because they just couldn't make shots. They were creating pretty good opportunities, but the jump shots were not falling. Only five from 26 three-pointers. There were some good things done by Barcelona on defense. They knew where they can risk, and they knew what they cannot give to, to Anadolu FS. Um, so I think uh, Sharas won the tactical battle in this game. Also, it was a double double game week for Barcelona, so it was kind of difficult for them to pr prepare for this one. Anadolu FS only had this uh, single game. Yeah, and uh, Barca they were after a COVID outbreak, yeah, so that's yeah. really hard to come back on the court. We can also we can see how Cody Higgins is still struggling after his injury yeah. and. I mean, Actually, in this game, he had some good runs. This was the best game specific so game, far yeah. uh, after his injury. But still, he's way yeah. far away from, from his current uh, normal shape. Uh, but yeah, again, Sertar Shanli against his former teammates. Very solid. 13.7 rebounds. Rokas Jakubaitis with deja vu and one on Vasa Mizic in the end of the fourth quarter. Uh, really, Rokas Jakubaitis showed some leadership, and it is amazing for me to see a um, 21-year-old Lithuanian who just came to Barcelona being the guy in the end of the fourth quarter on the court where Corey Higgins, Nikola Mirotic are also playing. I mean, it's amazing. And it was not only that uh, and one situation, even before in tough situations where FS, they were close to Barca at one shot. Yeah. He made a three-pointer with six uh, minutes uh, left uh, to double the lead uh, by six. Then they were, uh, they made a, he made a layup, I think, and he made it uh, plus two for, for Barca when it was a very close situation. I mean, he scored like seven or even more very important points yeah. in the fourth quarter and in the decisive moments where Barca really needed some leadership. So it's it's just incredible. We already talked about how we were... Uh, mm, 
about our, we were talking about our wrong predictions if Jokobaitis can be as productive uh, for Barcelona as we saw him in Jalgiris, but he's playing even better than last uh, season where he got a lot of playing time just because guys were injured. Now, okay, Kalates is in- injured, but he's scoring almost 11 points. He's dishing out uh, four assists per game since Kalates was injured, and Barcelona is a top uh, team in the EuroLeague. So that's that's an incredible achievement for a young guy like Jokobaitis, and he's he's incredible. Not not just on the floor, but off the court too. And these personalities... It's very cool. They, I mean, that's why kids start falling in love with basketball. Because he's so sincere, both on a, on the court and off the court. He has some drawbacks. He must improve his defense because his defense uh, flaws kind of cost the end of the game against Milan. For example, that crucial shot by Delaney was, was a big hit uh, for Milan. But other than that, he has balls. He has that big heart for basc- uh, just for basketball leadership. So yeah. it's incredible. I mean, he knows himself that he has to improve on defense. He has to improve uh, handling the ball with his right arm. But uh, he, this season, the numbers, the percentages are crazy. His spot-up shooting is really improved. Uh, like... He, he's not known for his, for his three-point shooting. Mm. We know him for this pull-up mid-range jumper that he has. However, when he is open, he's knocking down shots this season. Uh, f- more than 50% from three-point range, I believe. Yeah, for sa- for example, in this stretch without uh, Kalaitis, he was making uh, 63% of three-point uh, wow. shots. F- and 55.6% this season. He's not shooting a lot, like... Mm-hmm. 15 from 27 yeah, but, when he's, but when he's open he makes those those shots it's very important for a player in his position another thing from this game that uh, i really wanted to mention um it, talking about coaching and how differently coaches approach actually the same situation the same circumstances ergin ataman was dealing with vasa Mitic foul trouble he got three fouls early uh, but still, he was he kept on playing Vasamitsic in the second quarter. He was playing significant minutes with free fouls already. And for example, a, a different game, CSKA Asfel, Chris Jones gets three early fouls, actually two personal fouls and a technical after five minutes. And TG Parker doesn't play Chris Jones until the third quarter. So it's a very different it's approach. Like how approach. how Ergin Ataman trusts Vasa Mitic not to get this four foul. He trusts his uh, intellect to avoid anything negative. And how TG Parker is, like you said, sticking to the NBA approach. Yeah. If my key player is already in a foul trouble, I'm going to save him until the second half. So that's another interesting uh, yeah, because thing. Uh, TG was learning from from San Antonio coaching uh, staff. Uh, he was visiting his brother Tony when he was playing for San Antonio, and he was uh, trying to get all all that basketball no- knowledge from fr- San Antonio guys. And also, probably it's the matter of uh, the situation because without Misic, uh, Misic, if you know FS, they were failing without him. They so that's, suffering, that was yeah. probably why Ataman also gave him on the court because he saw that they're in trouble. Because we have to admit that Barca. More or less, they were controlling that yeah, game. Yeah, they were controlling the game. The result didn't show it, though. I mean, it was only 41-40 after two quarters, mm. but you had a feeling that Barca are creating better opportunities. Points come easier to them. And Adol Efes basically were living off the free throw line. Um, and, yeah, they couldn't break the game, though. 
And as Shara said, maybe we could have played a little bit smarter and, and break the game in the third quarter or early in the fourth. It got down to the last minutes. Uh, credit uh, actually to Chris Singleton who stepped up oh, yeah. in the fourth quarter making some big buckets. Uh, but again, open shots were missed. Bobois was missing shots. Larkin also missed some good opportunities. A couple of three-pointers and it could have been a different ball game. Yeah, some still turnovers. That's... Uh Painful, actually. 11 turnovers for FS and only 9 assists. That's, yeah. that's bad. That that's only bad. 9 assists, that says a lot, really. This is the team that is known for, for, for the ball movement, yeah. and having those creators, Larkin and Mitic, and only 9 assists. That's a very low number. And actually, about Vasa Mitic's foul trouble, it's not the first time he gets himself into the situation. And the third personal foul is kind of silly. You, all, you already have two fouls, and doing this back screen... I don't remember whether it was on Corey Higgins or, or Kyle Kuric, but you get the offensive foul. It's a very clear offensive foul. And in this case, yeah, Ataman trusted him. He didn't get the fourth. But when you see him playing kind of careless already with two fouls on him, it's hard to be 100% safe that he's not going to get the fourth one. And getting four, foul, four fouls in the second quarter pra practically kills you. Yeah, listen, we're talking about Pretty bad game of FS, right? Barca, yeah. they were controlling the game even though they had a lot of problems. Before, they didn't play Nick Kalaitis, for example. They were uh, after COVID. You see Ataman getting out of control. You see team struggling. Misic uh, taking uh, bad decisions. All the team, they're not sharing the ball. Um, if you were Alper Ilmaz, the GM of FS, what you would do in this situation? You do some roster shakeup. Of course, there's always uh, coaching change as an option, but probably this time that's 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 not the case. How how you would inspire this team? I wouldn't do anything to be honest. This season, let us just trust the process. Let's keep it the way it is. Oh. This season, a big shakeup needs to be done in the summer to replace a lot of these veteran players. And actually, I must admit, some players are really disappointing me. Elijah Bryan, first first of all. Ergin Ataman started Elijah Bryant. He gave him a starting lineup spot for defensive purposes. And he could not defend. His first two actions were mistakes. He allowed Mitzic to, uh, not Mitzic, uh, Higgins to drive. Uh, he, he Higgins got hot in the very beginning. So Elijah Bryant ended up playing only five minutes. So if Elijah Bryant cannot provide any defense... What can he do for this team? Because offensively, it's Larkinson, Mitzic's team. And, you know, you can see a veteran role player like James Anderson that can actually take this role. He doesn't have the ball in his hands. He barely ever scores, but he can do some good stuff on the court. And Elijah Bryan doesn't do nothing, to I be I remember honest. when Elijah just joined FS, we were thinking that it might be an upgrade. It, especially it, it looked like a good signing at, yeah. at the moment. Maybe... A lot of t uh, it takes a lot of uh, about confidence uh, he gets when he's playing and he gets the ball when he can make decisions. Now he just became some bench guy, and with Larkin and Mitic, it seems like he's not finding his rhythm on the offensive end. Maybe it impacts his defensive decisions. In general, now it's it looks like a bad situation. But it's the middle of of January and. We're past the period when you can um, register players from other EuroLeague teams. You can only sign free agents from elsewhere. Yeah, until February 9th. So I, think. I, I don't think there is an option for an adult FS to sign 
a game-changing player or releasing some of the players that they have is I don't think it's smart mm -hmm. we're ruling out the question about Tergin Ataman being fired so you're just gonna stick with this until the end of the season see what happens they will be in the playoffs I'm not so sure about the final four and in the summer you will have to make some moves they have the budget the rebuild is not going to be painful they can Sign, it depends. Players. It depends. I've heard that it's it's not that easy because FS they are very dependent on one owner, and if he, if he spends, that's okay. But for how many years he's going to spend, especially when the team will be losing, especially if they won't make the final four, that's that's another question. So, with FS and the ownership they have, it's always there's always a lot of uncertainty. You know what will happen the next year. It's so hard for a new player to actually find himself in this team, like. Uh, Elijah Bryant is one example. Filip Petrushev, like kind of a promising young center. But in this game, um, he was substituted into the court. He played eight seconds. He made a mistake. He got a foul, a shooting foul, and he was replaced immediately. So for players' confidence, these situations are, are, are you not You remember really last good. year, Janan Musa, he was... Just oh. benched in the end of the bench, yeah. and now he's he's doing great job in ACB, but he just couldn't adjust that team. But actually, in these games against Barcelona, you start to realize how valuable Sertar Shanli was last mm -hmm. season. I mean, his pick and pop is you solid. You could say it's a elite, yeah, elite combo when he has a good point guard when he's playing pick and pop. Tibor Plies can do some damage. But, but defensively, de defensively is kind of difficult. Yeah, and Serta Shanli, at first when Barcelona signed him, it seemed kind of strange, kind of odd. It's not like he's a young player that still does didn't reach his ceiling. He's twenty nine years old. Yeah. So when Barca signed him, you were thinking why, but now you're kind of starting to realize that it's good for for you to have different players in center position to have Brandon Davis and at the same time to have a different option in Sertar Shanli also of course they have Pierre Oriola who's missing games recently but uh, Shara's not what he's doing yeah. he signed La Provitola for example he needs to have a floor general like Nick Kaledis Rokas Jokubaitis can set the team but you want to have something different a kind of a spark player and Nicolas La Provitola is exactly that and not only Sertac adds value uh, for Barcelona, now we're talking about Petrushev, now we're talking about uh, FS problems, and they're lacking Sertac and Lee, actually. Definitely. That's the big piece uh, missing for FS, and nobody uh, thought that, uh, nobody knew that it will be so important uh, for FS. Wrapping up this game, I, just, I, I still want to mention Brian Dunstan dunking Dunk. on, on Brandon Davis. And well, Davis had a revenge. Yeah, <laughs> Davis had a revenge. Position. Yeah, yeah. But but Dunstan's dunk was and one, and it was that monster dunk. Yeah, it was good and one. Uh, a reaction after that dunk, uh, we actually had uh, he actually had and one session with our colleague Martina. Amazing interview. So I suggest I highly recommend uh, watching that interview because in the end of the uh, interview, he made his. Uh, and one impersonation during the conversation. So it was a bit similar to what actually happened in nice. Palo Blograna. And Bryant is actually an amazing guy, so he's he's way different when he's on the court, where we're used to see him mean, uh, powerful. He's the king of blocks. Yeah.
But off the core, he's so funny. He's he's a gamer. He's a family guy. So, yeah, just watch that interview. Yeah, uh, about the, uh, the game in, uh, against Milan. Uh, it was a bit different. Uh, Milan killed it in the end. And uh, watching that that game, I felt that strange feeling that you know when I when I see Sergio Rodriguez and Malcolm Delaney uh, on the your on Milan's backcourt for uh, for years uh, already. I'm, sometimes I start thinking if that's the backcourt for the title uh, contender. If you can win the title with such a backcourt, when you know El Chacho, he's he's decreasing, he's aging, and uh, uh, it, he doesn't have a lot of years uh, left in his tank. And Malcolm Delaney, Delaney next to him, he, he's not avoiding injuries, and it's 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 really hard for his team and for for himself. But every time I start doubting them. They're killing games like they did in, in Barcelona. El Chacho, he was killing the in the f- uh, first half. He was just unstoppable, mostly because uh, Barca just let him go right. And when he goes right, he's just a superstar. And I remember when Jesikavicius was doing scouting report, even for for Jargris, he was always emphasizing that, guys, if he goes right, if you let him go right, he's a superstar. If you let him, let him go left, he's a very average player. But it doesn't happen. It's not that easy just to force him to go left because he's too smart. He's so smart and he's uh, changing uh, the direction and he actually plays the direction he wants. Delaney, he's just he's just amazing. He's just a killer. That's the guy uh, what you which you need uh, to finish the game. And all these shots, they were very tough shots. And I mean, these two guys, they they brought a uh, victory f- uh, for Milan. El Chacho inspiring the team in the first half, and then Delaney closing the game when it seemed like Barca had it in their pocket. They were so, plus so, ten. So there were no positives uh, in this game for Barcelona. There were some positives. There were some positives. You know, it you was think? the first game after the COVID. It was hard. But the coach said there was nothing positive. But in the press, co- what was funny <laughs> with that interview that. There were no positives, according to him. But when he went to the press conference, official press conference, he was praising his guys for the spirit, for the fight, and for yeah. the uh, quality of basketball they showed. So it was just a bad, bad night for Sharuna Sesikavicius. And I think that he regretted that interview. Because if you noticed... The, uh, oh, yeah, and his, game, of his game, <laughs> the interviewer was his like best friend. Yeah. <laughs> um. To me, it seems like when Malcolm Delaney is facing Barcelona, he's on revenge mode. Like, we remember what happened to him in Barca. And uh, I was really frustrated that they let him go. Uh, Malcolm Delaney is a franchise player in Europe, in my eyes. And he was good in Barcelona. And he actually was appreciated by the Barca fans. But there were some conflicts maybe with Coach Pesic at the time and and with the club's uh, management. He... Eventually, let Probably him go. Probably to a special decision, you know, because Delina always declare how much he loves staying yeah, in yeah, Barca, yeah. how much he loves fans, the club, and then they let Pesic. him go. In my eyes, he's a very solid and consistent, proven Euroleague player, and I would love to have him on my roster in any club, any environment. Uh, so yeah, for Milan, it's a great fit, and El Chacho, he's just one of those experienced. European veterans that can win you games. As you said, maybe at this age he's not as efficient as he was in the past, but still in the big games, you trust uh, Sergio Rodriguez to give you 20 good minutes. 
this is what he did in 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 Palau. Of course, uh, you can say things about Barcelona's defense, letting him go right, letting him take these free pointers. Uh, when he plays the pick and roll, and you allow him to shoot off the screen, he's always gonna make those shots. So, yeah, Barca suffered, but in the end, um, I, I would say that the reaction in the third quarter was good. In my opinion, the way Barcelona came back after the halftime, it was yeah. really impressive. After yeah. COVID, after quarter, injuries, after everything, twenty six thirteen, yeah. Okay, yeah. So they there came, a lot of positive. They things. came back to the game. They were kind of close to winning it. Yes, in the end, Milan made better decisions. The experience maybe helped them, but it, w- it was not a bad game for Barca. To be honest, it's normal that you lose some games in the Euro League. It's what what's not normal is that Barca finished with fifteen wins and two losses, given the circumstances they were facing. So now, yeah, maybe you lose some games by by a couple of shots, but it's it's not a problem. In the end of the game, watching uh, at first El Chacho was dominating, then uh, Delaney was making big shots. As I mentioned, Jokobaitis made some crucial defensive uh, mistakes. I was uh, kind of I was uh, had that feeling that I was lacking a solid perimeter defender or on Barcelona uh, roster, and Dante Exum was not playing uh, in the second half, uh, I think. Uh, okay, Higgins is not uh, in his best uh, shape at the moment. They're lacking Abrines. But sometimes I I feel that additional, maybe not the additional, but they're just lack, lacking a good, solid perimeter defender at the, uh, at the current station, no? So, but if Abrines is coming back, he can yeah. get in shape before the playoffs, so you will have that defensive presence. Uh, Don Tagsum, to me, actually, it seems like he has a lot of potential to be a successful player in the EuroLeague, maybe even in Barcelona. But as we know, he has his mindset on the NBA. He said that, I signed for three months, I'm going to be here, I'm going to enjoy it, but then my plan is to go back to the NBA. Um, I, I think really that with a good coach... Dante Exum could be a great, successful player in in, in the EuroLeague. Oh, yeah. He would be a very good piece, actually. Now it's hard for him. Uh, his stats are not good. Uh, 3.8 points in 17 minutes. His shooting is not amazing. 41% of two-point shooting. And, okay, he made two of uh, five uh, three-pointers. But he's... Uh, He's he's good not because of his offensive uh, numbers. He's a good defender. Okay, in, in, in the Euroleague, he still needs to get to, to know his opponents because sometimes he's doing some silly mistakes when he's uh, playing uh, on-ball defense. And uh, even though Barca is one of the best defensive teams in the Euroleague, he still needs to uh, understand the system, understand uh, the league he's playing at the moment. And I believe that if he started the season from the beginning, he would be much better and oh, would be yeah, more yeah. useful. So but now it's it's very tough. We already mentioned how how tough it is to adjust in teams like FS. The same is in, in Barcelona. So, it just uh, I I you know, some people are saying that oh, XM is a bust. Uh, why he's thinking about the NBA if he's not even performing in Barcelona? But it's it's different. Euroleague and Barcelona uh, joining the team during the season is a different thing, and you cannot uh, value and and. Uh, underestimate player just because of these few weeks and months uh, during the season. But in the NBA's context, he is a bust. Let's be fair. Yeah, and he was a fifth and pick. Fifth pick. Yeah. And right now he is seen just like Emmanuel Moudier. NBA rejects that mm. want to get the second chance, want to prove something. Now 
trying in Europe but still having MBA on, on, on their minds. And uh, we see Emmanuel Moudier chasing 10-day contracts. I think Dante Exum as an Australia national team important player is too good to be chasing 10-day contracts and even playing G League basketball maybe. So in my eyes, uh, a guaranteed EuroLeague contract, let's say a two- or three-year deal with one of the Spanish clubs, mm-hmm. is much better yeah. than trying to fulfill your broken NBA dreams. And uh, to be honest, if Dante Exum doesn't have a consistent jump shot, he's not going to be successful in the NBA. Although he has just you know a bit more potential than Moody in the a NBA bit because more of his potential. defensive skills. Yeah, for sure, more than Moody, but but, I, mean, but, but I, I see what you're saying, and I'm really surprised. I thought that when he came back uh, to Europe, when let's say when he came to Europe, uh, I thought that he has planned just to finish the season uh, over there and then started uh, from stretch, uh, in, you know, in summer, just to check your uh, options if there are uh, any NBA teams interested in you. Maybe you will have something solid uh, on the table from the Euroleague team. So I was kind of surprised hearing that he it's just a short uh, break uh, for him here in Barcelona and he's still dreaming about the NBA, joining them before the playoffs. So, yeah, as you said, he shouldn't Dan- be chasing that uh, Dante Exum that w- was drafted as a point guard. First of all, uh, he was drafted as a point guard. He was seen as this. He was considered big, as a athletic, big, big prospect, big athletic point guard uh, that can defend, attack, create, basically do everything. Then eventually, Utah Jazz found out that well, he's not a point guard. He's not going to be a point guard. So now you see him more of a small forward position player, or maybe a shooting guard but he's not shooting. So <laughs> this is the whole purpose of being a shooting guard. Um, so when you shift from being a point guard to being a defensive small forward, it it shows that maybe something was not okay. Maybe someone was extremely wrong about predicting this player's career and his prospect. Uh, so I just hope that Dante Exum finds a place where he can be valued but I just don't see that being in the NBA. Mm-hmm. We know that Australian players, they love to go back to Australia, actually, and play in their league. But it's too early for him to do that. He still has a lot of money to earn and a lot of things to win, to be honest. He should talk with Joe Ingles, Matt Nielsen, all these yeah. uh, big-time Australian players who made their name in the EuroLeague. I just hope that he treats this Barcelona experience as good for him and maybe he sees EuroLeague basketball as an opportunity. He should start considering Europe and EuroLeague as option more seriously than, than, than that. If we're talking about hard adjustments during the season, the team which made some really solid signings and transfer moves uh, during the season is Real Madrid again. And it's it's a bit unfair you know, to sign Yabusele to an extension to a new, new three-year contract and then you're announcing that Gabriel Deck is coming back. That's just unfair. <laughs> Anthony Randolph and Trey Tompkins yeah. are back. Now they had a game against Basconia. It was Tompkins' first game this season. He scored 10 points. Anthony Randolph had a double-double. And Gabriel Deck is coming back. This roster is stacked. It's, it really is unfair. Although, still, I think that the much-needed reinforcements uh, and upgrade is needed for the backcourt. 
I think that they're missing a solid shooting guard, I would say. A scorer. JC Carroll. Who could no. lift up a the scorer, team. A ball handler. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think I don't see this as a big issue. Uh ideally maybe they could sign somebody in that position, but when you have the opportunity to bring back Gabriel no, Deck, no, that's that's a no-brainer. I'm not even <laughs> discussing it. <laughs> but have, if if they are doing it. this, all these they are continuing to do all these unfair things. Let's let's consider signing a good shooting guard for that team. I mean, their combo guards, let's say, not necessarily pure shooting guards, are good enough for for, for me. Um, you go with Thomas Sertel, uh, Sergio Yui, um, Alberto Balde. And Nigel Williams, guys that has potential and maybe is struggling a little bit in Madrid. I mean, come on, this is very solid. Alberto Balde, for example, recently has been playing good basketball. Not only that he's talented enough to play as a point guard for Pablo Lasso, he's very good on defense. He's one of their better perimeter defenders alongside uh, Jeffrey Taylor. So with this and also young prospects like Carlos Alosen, Nah, I, I wouldn't sign anybody else. Uh, unless it will be summer, because uh, yeah, in summer it's going to be yeah, it's going to be a very interesting summer uh, for Real Madrid because they have a lot of expiring contracts. I think that it includes Sergio Yul, uh, Yui, also Rudy Fernandez. I think that uh, Cosere is also on an expiring contract. I'm not so sure about Ertel. I think he has a multi-year deal. Mm. But uh, anyway, I mean. They they will make some changes, and I can obviously see yeah. Leo Kobo if he's not coming back to the NBA. He's he's desperate about coming back uh, to the NBA, but if he will see that he, the market is not uh, very uh, polite to him uh, overseas, he should considering staying in the Real Madrid. Ra- Real Madrid is is the European NBA actually, yeah. where you get guaranteed long term deals and and you play for a good coach and amazing conditions. I mean, a lot of great great players of Real Madrid told that is the closest situation to the NBA in the Euroleague. Real Madrid. Yeah. So really. They're stacked. I mean, Nigel Williams Goss, for example, I wouldn't be surprised if if they see that he's mm-hmm. not fitting in this team. In the summer, he might be talking to his agent and looking for other options. Because we can remember Jordan Mickey, when Real Madrid signed Jordan Mickey. He, he only played one season. After the season, both parts realized that it's better for him to move on and mm-hmm. he moved then to Himki. So something like this could happen with Williams Goss, but Real Madrid usually find great players on the market. And what I love about them is that they sign good characters. Mm-hmm. They're choosing the players very carefully. And whether it's a veteran signing or a younger player coming in, they're always signing good guys, good players. I think Elio Kobo is a good guy, so he would, would fit them well both on that's and a, the court. That's a possibility, yeah. Definitely Okobo will step up somewhere from us well next year. Okay, so probably it's time to go to the second part of our podcast. We were talking about EuroLeague title contenders. Now it's time to uh, talk about EuroCup title contenders. And uh, the main question of this segment of the podcast is if we see Partizan winning the EuroCup? I, I see them. I can imagine them winning it. But it's going to be tough. Would you agree that... It will be tougher when we fought before the season. Season, because to be honest, I didn't think that there will be such a competition 
uh, for them because not only Virtus, everybody was uh, discussing about uh, Virtus challenging uh, Partizan. We can see a lot of good, interesting teams right now. Of course, we're not so sure how long Budushnost will keep uh, the tempo. Uh, we see Gran Canaria overperforming with six victories and, and, and ten, uh, two losses. Budushnost, for example, they're leading the Group B. Badalona, they're surprising with seven wins in, in nine games. Partizan lost to Lokomotiv, and Lokomotiv, they have at least few EuroLeague players with Motley, McCollum, uh, Thompson, I like him as well, Alan Williams, I mean, they're looking for a replacement for Quinn Cooks. I mean, so it's it's going to be very difficult for them, way more difficult I than mean, I thought. I never thought it was going to be easy, but I'm looking at some of these teams with good names on the roster, Locomotive, one of those examples. They're not playing any defense. They, they replace the coach. They brought Branko Maksimovic, Serbian coach. He's assistant coach. Yeah, he just... So now he's going to coach the team, f at least f for now, uh, yeah. s since they uh, fired Pashutin. But they're not defending. They're just... I mean, they're winning games based on their talent and scoring abilities, but I don't see these type of teams winning championships, to be honest. On the other hand, uh, Joventut, the Catalan team, to me, they're very solid and very surprising. They have, I mean, two great veterans. Ante Tomic and, 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 and Pau Ribas. Ante Tomic still Crazy. is probably the best center playing back to the basket at the moment in in EuroCup, definitely, and maybe in uh, in the whole in whole Europe. In EuroLeague, it was difficult for Ante Tomic because he was attacked so much with the pick and rolls. He couldn't last longer in the EuroLeague, but in the EuroCup level, also playing in the Spanish ACB for Joventut, he's very solid. Also, Pau Ribas with his big experience, and they have some younger guys like Brodzianski and uh, others stepping up. So, Joventut is a team to watch. I watched some of their games in the Spanish League. They're, they're an exciting team, and they have a great support in their home games in Badalona. Um, so it's actually a historic, legendary club mm -hmm. with big history. So it's nice to see them being successful this year. Yeah, and just to add, Tomic, uh, he will turn 35 in February and he's averaging 10 points, 5.5 uh, rebounds, almost four assists uh, in 20 minutes. And he's averaging 13 points in the Spanish league. That's just yeah. amazing. He's super efficient on the offensive end. Yeah, he's still very good. And of course, there's Valencia. They always they're always a semi-final team at least and when when they're mm -hmm. in the Euro Cup. Um this season maybe they had some struggles because uh, a lot of injuries happened and in the preseason they didn't have enough bodies. They started kind of slow, but Valencia you can never write them off. The Spanish clubs in the Euro Cup, they're always either winning the title or being very close. So this is the competition that Partizan is facing and also, of course, Bologna. And the important thing is that, uh, for example, we see Gran Canaria on the top, uh, Joventut also on the top. But the thing is that Joventut, they're also performing really well in the ACB. They're third right now. To compare with Gran Canaria, they're only 11. Uh, and sometimes the time comes when all these teams 
kind of has to decide where they should focus on because Gran Canaria, they will have to keep up with their results uh, in the ACB league, you know, looking forward to the future. So it's going to be very interesting to see if they will manage to keep up the tempo uh, in the Euro Cup, especially with all these trips. Usually they don't have any practices because of these uh, long uh, trips uh, to an island. But with Joventut, I have less doubts if they can continue performing that well. Although it's not a very deep roster. Um, Joventut, they're not very deep, so they're also dependent on a couple of key guys staying healthy. Uh, however, it's a regular season format. This this is the first season in the Euro Cup where we see this format with uh, two groups of 10. Eight teams qualify. From and, each group. And, and when, when there's playoffs, when there's playoff series, you will definitely go for the teams with better coaching. Coaching. And in this case, Jelko Bradovic and Sergio Scariolo are the standout coaches in, in the Euro Cup. And they still need time. We're talking about, about Virtus. Okay, they are, they are struggling, six wins in nine games, but they didn't have Ekpe Uduk uh, for, for, for the season. Actually, he uh, started uh, practicing again. I just saw the tweets uh, today. Dostoch also got hurt recently. Yeah. I mean, a lot of players got uh, hurt. Davudo Abbas, they lost him in the beginning of the season. So they're dealing with all these injuries. I mean, Nicola, um, Nico Mannion was also uh, struggling uh, with health issues. So they will need time and all these the big teams, they will come uh, on the top when it uh, really matters. Yeah. But the thing is that this knockout format, single game format, it's... It's very bad against uh, all these big teams. It gives the chance gives to the underdogs yeah. for sure, but still, I mean, Partizan, they're, they're like a growing team. They have a lot of young players and a couple of veteran uh, leaders. Uh, I like that they added Matias Lazor. They brought him back to Belgrade. I mean, he's a solid sender in EuroCup level. In EuroCup. in EuroCup level, he's a very solid sender. Yeah, he, he joined Monaco, if I'm right, last year, and they won the EuroCup uh, yeah. later. So that's a huge upgrade because they needed some depth uh, in the front line. There's definitely still a long way to go. Um, but talking about the EuroCup, I would like to say that actually Letkabel is the Lithuanian team. They're surprising me. Mm -hmm. Winning four games and also in the other games where they lost, they were competitive. They were competing always. All these losses, they were uh, less by 10 points. They lost yeah. all these games less by 10 points. They were even competing, even Partizan, in Belgrade. For example. Even yeah, in yeah. Belgrade, which was obviously a special game for coach Nena Chanak. Mm. Uh, but they beat Joventut at home in Panevejis. Mm. So really, your hometown team is impressing me this year in, in the Euro Cup. I didn't expect them to be this competitive. Yeah, although there's a lot of, uh, there's a long way to go because we're talking about this impressive team that Kabilis and they're, uh, they have four wins and, and five shares losses. from sixth to eighth uh, seed. So. Yeah, but they, they're definitely going to be in top eight in Group A. Oh, so yeah. they will make the playoffs, which is already a good achievement because when you see this group of teams and you compare Les Kabelis mm. with all of them, you're thinking that they are better than Wroclaw Shlonsk, but oh, yeah, yeah. all, the, Dolomite, they are all the other clubs, but even Dolomiti, they have money, they have players, and you, you could imagine Les Kabelis being in the ninth or 10th spot, but right now they're competing for, for top four even, so that's pretty amazing. When it takes, uh, when we're talking about Partizan and if we're talking about winning the title, mm, I see at least two things which they must improve in order to secure the title, uh, let's say. 
uh, or at least to put them in the best position to win the Euro Cup. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm still uh, doubt- doubting their point guard position. Uh, they needed some time. Uh, Jelko needed some time to see if uh, Jan uh, Yamadar and uh, uh, Dallas Moore uh, point guard lineup can work. And I'm not so sure about that. Uh, Yamadar is just too young. Although for me, he's a better point guard than Dallas Moore. I'm just lacking better decision-making uh, from Dallas Moore uh, sit, uh, standpoint. And the thing is that when we're talking about all these decisive games and if we're looking for more ways for Partizan to make the EuroLeague, and not only the EuroCup is the way, there's uh, ABA Liga, but they're facing probably one of the best defenses in the EuroLeague, uh, Cervena Zvezda. All these great defenses, they have to be beaten with good floor generals, I think. And the way... I saw Dallas Moore playing in some decisive moments. It's it's not on that level. So I heard that they were on the market. Uh, They're on the market to upgrade the uh, backcourt. Not only they made it a mm, good signing for, for the front line, but that's that's the thing uh, they need to improve. And it seems like they also realized that, that uh, some change might be necessary. Um, in my opinion, in the Euro Cup, any team with Kevin Punter's scoring abilities has a shot at winning it. No, of course, of course. Uh, and I'm Kevin Punter, exactly. They, Kevin Punter. Kevin Punter is actually very efficient with his mid-range shots this year, but only twenty-five yeah. percent signature pull-up jumper. But only twenty-five percent three-point shooting. He can be better. I he mean, can even be better. He's averaging eighteen points. I can easily see him averaging more than twenty. The best thing about Partizan is that they're already showing a. Nice defense. They have the third best uh, defensive rating in the Euro Cup, but the problem is the their offense. The offensive rating is not that bad. They are sixth yeah. by the offensive rating, but the problem is their three-point uh, accuracy. They're making only f- less than 33 three-pointers. Yeah. That's that's really bad. Although they have enough good, at least, spot-up shooters on that team. Some players are actually not delivering and disappointing, especially Rodion Kurz, for example. Oh, that's a big disappointment. Yeah. A Latvian prospect. He was in the NBA. I think he was signed to play some mm-hmm. good minutes, but he's very... That's a good stretch for... But he's I, ver- f- I very think that he's even making more than 1 million euros, and that's that's crazy. <sighs> Damn. Okay, hypo- hypothetical scenario. Virtus Bologna, Partizan... Everyone's healthy. Best of three series. Oh, best of three. Who would you be taking? Everyone's healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say f- for the sake of it, Partizan has the home court advantage. <sighs> Damn. I think that Virtus, they have more quality and they have more experience. So I'll go with Virtus. I would go with Teodosic and Berenelli, Yeah, honestly. I mean, these guys, you have to trust them. In, in the size of moments. So if the condition is everyone's healthy, I would go with Bologna as well. Yeah, they're just too good. Not only Belnelli, Teodosic, I mean, Ken Herbert. I a want lot. I to see, a lot. I desperately, Paiolo, Nicolo, I, Manion, I I desperately mean, want to see Belinelli in the EuroLeague before he retires. Uh-huh. It's a big name. It's a very big name. It's an NBA champion. I believe he won a three point contest. In the NBA? Yeah. Maybe. So it's a very big name. He played for Coach Popovich for San Antonio Spurs. He had a great career in the NBA. He was always very passionate for the Italian national team. I want to see him in the EuroLeague desperately. So to beat Virtus in that hypothetical situation, 
partisan, they should also improve the, le- the level of physicality. If you remember, we watched the game uh, Zvezda against Partizan, yeah. and we saw yeah. a huge difference between oh, the yeah. physicality of both teams. I saw some uh, recent gaf- games of Partizan. I still cannot stand watching uh, uh, Alan's my luggage losing a 50-50 uh, ball uh, against Eric McCollum, probably the sh- smallest uh, guy in the EuroCup, or like the same happened with McCollum. I think he grabbed two offensive rebounds against Partizan, and all these offensive rebounds, second-chance uh, situations, they ended up in, in, in some crucial points in the end of the game. So that's, that's another thing which uh, has to be improved, but... What I also like about Partizan that despite all these big uh, signings, big names, Jelko is still a good teacher to all these young, unproven Serbian players. I mean, a lot of names, uh, a lot of these names, they're unproven guys, but they're performing. They're making a big impact on their teams. For example, Gregor Gregor, uh, Glass, uh, he became a very uh, solid uh, piece uh, at the moment. Also, Balza Koprivica, he impressed uh, lately and he's just doing his job. He's growing his team. The thing with Jelkon and his teams is that usually they need time. If you remember Fenerbahce, the first year they didn't uh, uh, they didn't advance uh, from the top 16, for example. His Juventus experience, no, Real Madrid experience also, they, they needed some time. Okay, they won the EuroLeague, but they failed in, in, in Spain, uh, for example. So even all these big coaches, they need time because the empire, they're not built in, in one year. And probably when Jelko was uh, signed by Partizan, when Panther, Lide joined Partizan, the level of expectations were so high that everybody thought that this partisan will destroy everybody. But the reality is that competition in the EuroCup is good. This team still needs time to grow, to adjust to their new coach, to adjust to each other. And it will take time. But a lot of good things already happening in partisan. I, I tried to talk uh, how's, how's the process, how's the growth of, of partisan. And the most important thing is that Jelko is happy. Uh, Jelko is happy uh, working in Belgrade at his home. He already mentioned in the interview that every day, uh, every week, he's getting like 10 lunch requests just to meet some friends in Belgrade, just to have some quality lunchtime, quality conversations. He loves working with these uh, young Serbian players. He loves working uh, for Partizan. And it's really important to have your amazing coach uh, happy in that situation. And also, uh, with Jelko, usually everybody around, they improve, they get better. Not only players, but the organization, fans in general. We had all these lessons from Sharuna Sisikavcius, for example, in Lithuania. The same now is happening in Partizan, because with Jelko, there is no bullshit. There's a big uh, focus on improving in all the areas of life, and they're, they're getting there. I'm not so sure of this year, uh, because, yeah, as I said, competition is huge in the EuroCup. But they will be really good in, in, in the years to come if they will manage to keep uh, this uh, partisan project with Jelko on the front. Just last week, I, I, I once again watched the famous 2005 press conference. After in, in, in Serbia Bel- field Belgrade, yeah, uh-huh. uh, Eurobasket. Has to be the greatest press conference ever by a European basketball coach. Really, I think the American viewers should watch it to realize how different it is. Uh, the press conferences, the communication, and everything else about the European coaches. Yeah, but uh, actually, we're finishing about the Euro Cup and Partizan. 
Matthias Lessor could be kind of even an underrated signing. Mm-hmm. He's a big presence in the paint, a good pick-and-roll player, and last year when they won the Euro Cup with Monaco, he was averaging 12.5 points and 6 rebounds per game. So he adds a lot of quality mm. and power to experience as, well. experience as well. Yeah, it's a good signing. So they're really close. They're really close. But with this format, luck also uh, gets involved. Yeah. We'll see. It just makes things even more exciting because there's a lot of uh, unpredictable things in the Euro Cup. Uh, to be year. honest, uh, I never watch a lot of games uh, during the regular season in the Euro Cup. I basically start watching it more seriously. From top 16 fr- fr- at least. From, yeah. from quarterfinals, to mm. be honest. Top 8 is always solid. Mm. That's all. Yeah, let's that's go all. to the one of the our. Uh, yeah, let's go with the fan mailbag, and we have questions from Miroslav. Uh, thanks a lot uh, to you. Uh, first of all, yeah, the question about Matthias Lazard. What do you think about the new Partizan center? We kind of answered it. Good signing for Euro Cup. Good signing for Partizan. He's been to Bel- He he's been playing in Belgrade al- already. Of course, he switched sides. He played for Cervena Vesda. So there's not much to add, really. It's a good center, and it's it's it, he, he's gonna help a lot this team yeah. because this especially is he he will help when we are. I think Jelko is also thinking about Virtus as a matchup, as a potential matchup. So maybe so they needed uh, such a body like yeah, like and, and not only Virtus, Svenas Vesda. You need to match. Oh yeah, uh, of course, Kuzmich. Yeah, and everybody else that they have. They're a very physical team, so you're adding physicality with Lesor, a good French player, a solid, reliable center. He already played his first game, actually, in the Euro Cup for Partizan, so looking forward to seeing him more. Do you think Budžnas could make a surprise in the Euro Cup? I would say that they're already making some kind of a surprise in the Euro Cup, leading Group B, and uh, a lot of comes from, from their head coach, uh, Aleksandar Džikic. He's back in Budžnas, and he's, he's a very uh, respected coach, even in the EuroLeague. I mean, I remember how Sharas uh, was appreciating his... His knowledge, his skill. Uh, he wasn't very successful in the previous years, uh, but uh, so far he's doing a great job. And I like this Budishnas team. They have some good names uh, like uh, Villa Reed. We remember uh, how high he was jumping in the EuroLeague. DJ Sealy, very, very smart uh, guard. Uh, he was very valuable player for Bayern Munich. He would be valuable player to this day. So I'm kind of surprised to see him in the Euro Cup. Jacob Wiley, he's... he's uh, he was already nice in in Panathinaikos. He showed some uh, good stretches. He was kind of unpredictable. Yeah, that that but was the problem because he was a you know rookie in the Euroleague. Yeah. But then you no, they they, they definitely hit the jackpot with the American players, and then you're building a team around them with some hardworking local players, which they successfully did. Um, you could say that their leading scorer, Justin Copps, is actually one of their own. He's been there since 2019. He has a Montenegrin mm-hmm. citizenship. Mm, so they're a solid team. They're a playoff team. But uh, if we're talking about surprises, I don't see him. Don't see them as a top four team in in, in this current Euro Cup. So if they will manage to reach the semifinal, I would be, be surprised. surprised. It would I be agree. Su- I agree. I didn't consider them uh, that seriously before the season. Of course, there's Vladimir Mitsov, for example. Yeah, with tons of experience. Actually, you could 
We're not so sure you could about expect the him to be. Of this he, team. He, you could expect a guy like Mitsov to be even better in the Euro Cup because so far he's only scoring nine points per game with twenty five point five percent three point shooting. Mm-hmm. He exploded actually in their last game against Bursaspor. So there's potential. There's experience. There's veterans. There's coach Cikic, so they can do some good things. It's good for the competition itself. I mean, and and for the Adriatic League, Servena Zvezda and, and Partizan cannot relax. They cannot sleep on these other teams like Podushnas. They have to be serious about them. And the last question uh, from Miroslav. Maybe it's Miroslav Beric. Don't you think so? From Ralgis? Legendary Miroslav Beric. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I'm just joking because. <laughs> Miroslav is doing good. Uh, I remember when Jalgiris TV crew interviewed him a few years ago when Jalgiris faced the Budushnos in the EuroLeague. Uh, he came to the interview, if I'm right, with Ferrari or something. So wow. Beric is, is doing well. I mean, he's okay with his uh, post-career uh, life. So probably it's not uh, Beric, definitely. But anyway, <laughs> the last question. Do you see Mario Hezonia as the leader of a stronger team in the EuroLeague? Well, first of all, I think Unix Kazan, the way they're built right now, they're strong enough. And Kazani is proving that he can lead Probably the team. Probably the idea of the question is if you see him as leader in the one of the powerhouses of the EuroLeague. Yes, why not? Do you see him as uh, a leader in the winning team? Yeah, in a title team? definitely. But he needs a good coach. I mean, some coaches might not be very successful with Mario Hezonia. Uh, he's a little bit arrogant. So he, if he gets angry, in the past we saw what happened in the Croatian national team. There might be some conflicts, some tensions. So he needs to be in a good environment where other players are also dedicated and motivated and the coach is fair. Ceska Moscow, what do you think? Luke Leibold on expiring contract. Mario Hazonia in his situation. Yeah. That would be a nice upgrade. I could see that. I could see that. He could be a leader, definitely. I mean, this season we're seeing that he's not uh, the player that wants to take 20 shots every single game. He wants to win. There are games when he makes like two or three field goals, but he's not complaining. Unix Kazan is winning. He is actually an underrated defender. We're always talking mm, about yeah. skills, about scoring, about dunking the basketball that he does uh, tremendously. But he's very good on defense also. So any team with the opportunity to take him should do that. And he could be a leader. He could be successful. I don't see any problems. Although, yeah, we're talking about coaches like Itudis and Yesikavichos. For example, with Tudis and Mike James, uh, we, we remember the conflict if something like that happens. Mario Hezoni is not the guy that would go down easily, let's say. Mm-hmm. Also, we had some doubts when he joined Perasovic crew. Okay, there is a Croatian uh, connection, but still, Perasovic is a very hard coach. So, uh, I mean, if there wouldn't be any doubts about him, first of all, he would not have arrived in struggling Panathinaikos. Mm-hmm. He would have landed somewhere better immediately after coming back from Portland. And secondly, in the summer, Unix Kazan, it seemed like a gamble. Mm, huge gamble. So maybe Barca, Real Madrid, Sky, and others were not actually thinking about the possibility of signing him. Yeah, there was a buyout issue uh, as well, buying out his rights. 
So maybe, yeah, I think he increased his stock in the EuroLeague for, for the next summer if he becomes the free agent because he signed a multi-year deal. And I'm so, I'm not so sure about his, let's say, uh, plus one option. It's a team option. I mean, it should a depend option. a lot of whether Unix stays in the EuroLeague, EuroLeague or yeah. not. If they don't stay in the EuroLeague, it would be, uh, I don't know, Prime? It would be criminal. It would be criminal, Euro. actually, to play Mario Hazani in the Euro. And a blessing <laughs> for, for Kazan to keep him. <laughs> yeah. Okay, to finish this up, uh, as I mentioned, I tried to check if all the games will be played as planned, and it seems like that we're keeping our fingers crossed, but it seems like we will finally, after a few weeks of suspensions, of postponements, we will have all the games available. So, Ritis... Uh, which one is your most anticipated game uh, of the week? I wanted to say Unix Barca, but now that Nikola Mirotic got COVID and he's not going to play. Unix also, they had big COVID problems. We're not sure which players will show and up. So What will be the quality of the game? It will be way different when it was in Barca. It's questionable, but still I'm looking forward to seeing Isaiah Cannon against, mm -hmm. against the Catalans, so it should be fun. Um... Ceska against uh, Milan, for a lot sure. of quality. Yeah, Tudis Messina, Messina coming back to Moscow where he was extremely successful. A lot of great experienced players. Um, I hope Will Clyburn will be back because he missed both of their games last week. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. And of course, uh, Maccabi Olympiakos, very, very important. Another important game for Yanis Feropoulos. They're al already on an eight-game losing streak. And Olympiakos also, they need to show a re reaction. They need to respond after their last game, which was terrible. They were terrible, but I'm thinking that maybe it was uh, hugely impacted by COVID also. Because they know. were just, it wasn't Olympiakos. I don't know, but you were facing Fenerbahce without uh -huh. Vesely and the Colo and it all, all the problems. It was a to play the way they played, uh, actually. It was their worst game uh -huh. of the season so far. But I, I remember I criticized them pretty harshly, but then I thought that, yeah, really, maybe they were just had a hard time coming back uh, after COVID. Maybe that was the reason. And actually, so. actually you know, Panathinaikos were breaking records against FS when they played at home. They trashed FS, the EuroLeague champions, oh. somehow. Uh, Daryl Macon, I believe, hit like nine three-pointers in that uh -huh. game. So Anadolu FS should have some extra motivation in this one. And it will be interesting to see. Maybe Ataman this time will, he will keep uh, on stay, the court. stay on the touchline. Because uh, he already tied Andrea Trinchieri for the most ejection, ejections during this uh, one season in years, actually, yeah. probably since the uh, new format started. So... That's a huge and, challenge for Ataman. And if you want to see some brutal physical basketball, Asvel is facing Servana Zvezda. Dogfight. Yeah. A lot of EuroLeague action, a lot of quality EuroLeague action this week. So enjoy this week. Uh, enjoy this EuroLeague week. Enjoy our podcast, Ritis Vishnauskas, Donata Surbunas. You can always find us on all the main audio platforms, uh, wherever it is, uh, Spotify. Uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Podbean, for example. I mean, all the main platforms. And, of course, uh, YouTube channel, basketnews.com YouTube channel, and basketnews.com website. So thank you so much, and good luck this week. Good luck. See you next week.